Good morning, church. It is good to know that there are so many people watching online. I've gotten used to saying over the last few weeks that it's good to see so many people in the auditorium and to know that we have so many people watching online. But I'm glad this morning that even though we can't be here together in person, we are gathered together virtually talking about our Lord that we serve, the body that we get to be a part of. We started last week this new series entitled One Body. And we're talking about how we as the church, how every individual Christian is a part of the collective body of Jesus. And that's why I've used this uh, series graphic that we've been using the last two weeks of Jesus as a mosaic made up of individual pictures of people because that's exactly what the church is called to be. That's exactly what you and I are called to be. We are called to be little tiles in the mosaic of Jesus that the world sees, that together we make up the picture of Jesus that the world sees. Now you and I individually are not the picture of Jesus because you and I are so very imperfect. We are imperfect and I'm glad that we are not the picture of Jesus, but collectively, together, we are called together to be the picture of Jesus that the world sees, and not just when we're in the building. I, I think that we've done, we've done a disservice to the word church or the idea of church if we think that church is about who we are and what we do in this building, because we are the church every day, everywhere we go, every minute of every day, every interaction that we have, we are the church. You and I collectively are the picture of Jesus. Every word that we say, Every deed that we do, every action, every reaction is a little bit of the mosaic of Jesus that the world sees. Everything that we do at work, everything that we do at school, everything that we do on social media is a picture that the world sees of Jesus. And so we are reflecting out into the world collectively, this is the picture of Jesus. And the question is, are we portraying an accurate picture of Jesus in the world, in everything that we do? And it's not just the collective perception of Jesus that we're supposed to be portraying, but also the collective impression, the, the collective influence, the collective impact that we can have as the body of Jesus. That's why we've been using the phrase at McDermott Road for the last couple of years, brighter together, that together, collectively, we can make a bigger impact, have a bigger influence. Together, we are the hands and the feet and the words of Jesus. That's why this idea of the collective the collective body of Christ, the collective nature of the church is so incredibly important because you and I and every other follower of Jesus are tiny little tiles in the mosaic of the picture, the perception of Jesus in the world, but also the influence, the impact of Jesus in the world. We are the body of Christ. But that's also another reason that division, division is one of the worst things that can happen in the body of Christ. Because again, think about it in terms of a human body. And if you think about division in terms of a, 
a human body, if a body is divided, then some part of it is dead or dying. Isn't that true? That if a body is divided, to whatever degree it is divided, then some part of it is dead or dying. That's why division in the church, division in the body of Christ, is one of the absolute worst things that can happen. And that's what we need to spend some time today reflecting on. We're going to look at the book of 1 Corinthians, all leading up to the taking of the communion this morning. And I wish so much that we were in the same room together this morning. Unfortunately, because of the weather, we can't be. But as we lead up to the sharing of the bread and the cup, sharing across time and space, sharing with our brothers and sisters, not just in Collin County, but across the world this morning, all sharing the bread and the cup, we we have to think about this idea of unity, collective nature of the church, the unified nature of the church, the oneness of the church, and the devastating nature of division within the body of Christ, all leading up to the sharing of the bread and the cup this morning. Because one of the things that Paul was dealing with in Corinth was division and the brokenness that was going on in the church there. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And keep reading verse 11. It says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Surely, surely Christians today don't have that problem, right? Surely there's no quarreling within the body of Christ today. Paul says from the beginning of Corinthians to the end of 1 Corinthians that there is no place in the body of Christ for division. There is no place for being divided. It is not okay to subdivide the church. And here he's saying that this church was subdivided, subdividing themselves based on which apostle or which teacher they followed or agreed with more. And so some people would say they followed Peter and some would say they follow Apollos and some would say they follow Paul and others would even say they follow Christ. And so they were subdividing themselves. And Paul says, that's not okay. Now, if that's not okay, if that's not okay, if it's not okay for a congregation or for God's people for followers of Jesus to segregate and divide themselves by which teacher they follow. If that's not okay, if it's not okay to be divided based on which Christian teacher we follow, then it's certainly not okay to be divided over anything else. So many times our quarreling, our dividing, is over worldly things. Which politician we voted for, which party we belong to, which ideology we hold to. Paul says, I'm writing these things so that there be no, no, no divisions among you. And it's not okay that there's quarreling amongst you. This dividing is not okay. Because again, if there is division within a body, then some part is dead or dying. 
A living, healthy body cannot be divided. If a body is divided, it is not living and healthy. Some part of it is dead or dying. So if there's division and there's quarreling, then some part of the body is dead or dying. And Paul says it's not okay that this is going on amongst you. And so Paul deals with this over and over and over again. He says in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now that question, that first question there is so incredibly important. Is Christ divided? And why is that such an important question? Because that's the picture that we are called to reveal to the world. We are called to reveal to the world the picture of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are supposed to be mirroring, reflecting the image of Christ into the world. And a divided body reflects a divided Christ, but Christ isn't divided. Think about a mirror. If you're looking into a mirror that's broken and cracked, it gives the image of a broken and cracked person. But that's an inaccurate picture, isn't it? If I look into a mirror that's cracked right down the middle, then it reveals a picture of a broken person. But the person isn't broken. It's the mirror that's broken, and it's reflecting an inaccurate image. And that's what the church in Corinth was doing. They were reflecting an inaccurate image of Christ, a divided Christ, a divided body. And church, listen, when we get on social media or when we go into the workplace, or when we go into school, or the world perceives us fighting and arguing and quarreling and being divided amongst each other, then we are reflecting the image of a divided Christ. And that's not okay. So Paul asked them that question, is Christ divided? And if Christ is not divided, but yet the ones who are supposed to bear his image and reflect his image into the world are divided? then they are reflecting an inaccurate image of Christ. And he says, was was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, of course not. It was Christ who was crucified for you. It was into Christ's name that you were baptized. It's not Paul's name you're supposed to be reflecting into the world. It's not Peter's name you're supposed to be reflecting into the world. It's not Apollos' name you're supposed to be reflecting into the world. It's Christ's name. It's Christ's picture. It's Christ's image that you're supposed to be reflecting into the world. So stop with the division. Stop trying to reflect other teachers, other ideas, other groups, other whatever. And start reflecting Christ. And stop reflecting a divided image of Christ. Reflect a unified image of Christ because Christ is not divided and neither should his church be. So Paul, again, everything that he deals with in the book of 1 Corinthians, he deals with in terms of unity and rebuking this division. It is our common salvation, our common baptism that we're supposed to be reflecting into the world. And it's these things that he talks about, these things that Christ was crucified for us and that we're baptized in the name of Christ. It's this that gives us unity. And he says, I want you to have the same mind and the same spirit because Christ was 
crucified for you because you were baptized into the name of Christ. In other words, we're not unified because we agree. We agree because we're unified. Do we see the difference? We're not unified. We don't have unity because we say, okay, we see things the same way. You see things the way I see things. I agree with you. You agree with me. We all get along. So we haven't just found a group of people that we all agree with. No. We are one body because of what Jesus did for us. We are one body, not because we look the same, not because we vote the same, not because we think the same, not because we have the same ideas, not because we are the same people, but because what Jesus did for us. And because Jesus did this for us, now we strive to agree with one another, to be unified with one another because of what Jesus has done for us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17, still the same context about dealing with the divisions. Verse 16, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now again, like we talked about last week, we tend to take every passage and we personalize it, but we need to take it and pluralize it because when he says you it's not a singular you it's a plural you he's not saying necessarily that you individually are a temple or the temple of the holy spirit he'll say that in chapter six and say your body is a temple of the holy spirit but here he's saying y'all all y'all are the temple of the holy spirit you collectively are God's temple. And that's why division is the worst thing that can happen. Because a divided temple is a broken temple. He says, you as a church body, and not just the church in Corinth, but Christians all over the world, every Christian is part of, a brick in the wall of, the temple, a tile in the mosaic of, the temple. You are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, dwells in y'all, dwells in you collectively. And then he says, if anyone destroys the temple, in what way can you destroy the collective temple of God? Division, division. And he says, there are severe consequences. God will destroy him who destroys his temple. We collectively are the body of Christ. We collectively are the temple of God where the Holy Spirit dwells. And so every issue that Paul deals with in this book that has a lot of issues in it, he deals with it through this lens and through this framework of unity and division. He says, this is why division is wrong, because it breaks the unity. In fact, even when he talks about sin, he talks about it so many times in terms of sin is wrong because it's the wrong sort of unity. Because you're being unified with someone or something other than Jesus and his people. Sexual immorality lawsuits amongst the brothers, church discipline, food sacrifice to idols. He deals with all of these things through the framework, through the lens of unity versus division. 
Then he deals in chapter 10 with the idea of food that's been sacrificed to idols and specifically with going to an idol feast, to a feast that's been dedicated to some idol. But he deals with it through the lens of unity. But in this context, he says something incredibly important about the Lord's Supper. And here's where I want us to focus for just a few minutes this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 16, he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So many times when we take the Lord's Supper, we talk about it being a memorial, and that's true. It is a memorial, but it's more than a memorial. It's not just remembering something. If you, if you remembered something that you personally experienced, you could hear the story about it and remember it. Or if you watched a movie about something that happened, you could remember that historical event. If you read a book about something, you could remember that historical event. If somebody told you a story about it, you could remember that historic event. But even beyond that, there's some people that don't just read about the Civil War. There's some people that reenact battles from the Civil War. You've seen this, Civil War reenactors. And so they reenact it. But it's even beyond that. Because even though they're remembering it and even reenacting it, they're not actually participating in the Civil War. The Civil War is over and they can't participate in it anymore. But here, Paul says something incredibly significant about the bread that we break and the cup of blessing that we share. He says that it is a, what? A participation. A participation in the blood of Christ. A participation in the body of Christ. That we're not just remembering the body and the blood of Jesus. We are participating in it. And this word participating, in the, in the Greek, the word is koinonia, which is usually translated or often translated as fellowship. But it was an incredibly intimate word, an incredibly intimate idea that you are becoming participants. You are becoming partners. You are becoming part of this When you partake of this bread, when you partake of this cup, you are becoming a sharer. You are experiencing oneness with the body, with the blood. I I remember what Jesus said. Do you remember what Jesus said in the upper room when he instituted this supper? And he gave the cup and the bread to his disciples. And he said about the, the cup, drink of it all of you, for this is my blood of The covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When we share in this cup and we share in this bread, we are participating in a shared salvation. We are participating in a shared belonging. You're not just remembering the body of Jesus. You are participating in the body of Jesus. You're not just remembering the blood of the covenant. You're participating in the blood of the covenant. This goes beyond just remembering and it goes beyond just reenacting. 
you are participating in the body. You are participating in the blood. You are becoming one with Jesus when you're baptized into Jesus. And then you take this memorial meal. You are participating in the blood of the covenant. You're participating in the body of Christ. You're participating in a shared salvation. You are participating in a shared belonging. And then he even goes beyond that and he says something remarkable in verse 17. He says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now notice he doesn't say, because there is one body, we need to have one loaf of bread right? That's not what he says. He's not telling them you need to have one loaf of bread because there is one body. He's saying because there is one bread, we are one body. Now, what does he mean by that? I I let that kind of roll around in my mind all week long. What does he mean by that? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. He's not telling them to have one loaf of bread. He's telling them the results of the fact that there is one bread. And notice that he doesn't say you here. He doesn't say y'all here. He's not talking second person plural. He's talking first person plural, right? He's talking we, we who are many. There is one bread. Universally, there is one bread. Even though there's nobody in this room this morning, and even though we're all in our own places, we're all taking the bread. And there is one bread. There's not many breads. There's not thousands of breads. There's one bread. There is one loaf. Universally, there is one bread. And because there is one bread, we who are many are one body because we all take of the one bread. And even if we were all in this room and there was one loaf of bread and we all partook of that one single loaf of bread, even though it would all be partaken by many different people, it wouldn't cease being one bread. It doesn't stop being one bread when it's partaken by all of the people. In fact, we could put it this way. Here's where I want us to think about this morning. When we partake, the one bread is not divided. The many people are united. The one bread doesn't stop being one bread when many people partake of it, the one bread is still one and the people become one. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible that one loaf of bread, one bread could be taken by millions of people and still remain one? Well, that's only possible if all of the many people are one body, right? We are one body because we are one body. When we all partake of the one bread, we are one body. So the bread isn't divided. The many people are united. When you take that bread and I take that bread and my family takes that bread and your family takes that bread and millions of people across the world this morning partake of the one bread, it's not being divided The many people are being united. That's what we're doing. When we share in the bread and the cup, there are no spectators. There are only participants. 
We're not spectating in something this morning. We're not just even remembering something, even though we are remembering something. We're remembering what Jesus did for us and who we are because of what Jesus has done for us. But we're not just remembering, we're participating. This cup of blessing that we bless is a participation in the blood of Jesus. This bread that we break is a participation in the body of Christ. And so when we partake of this one bread, the bread isn't divided. The people are united. When we share in this one cup, the cup isn't divided. The people are united. That's what needs to happen. That's what is happening in the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup. But there's a warning here too. Because Paul has been dealing with all book long, he's been dealing with division. And there's a warning here as well. And he says in the next chapter, chapter 11, that we need to be careful when we take this bread and cup. Because the church in Corinth, when they came together, he says it wasn't for the better, but for the worse, because of the divisions that existed amongst them. It's not okay for a body to be divided. It's not okay for a divided body to share a bread and cup that's supposed to unite them and then walk away divided. So he says in chapter 11 and verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. What has he been dealing with? What's the unworthy manner? If you come and you share this bread and you share this cup with animosity and anger and division and superiority and jealousy and bitterness, when you come and participate in the unified body of Jesus and participate in the unified blood of Jesus, when you share the one cup and you break the one bread, and you do so in a way that's not unified, but divided. What does he say? He says, you will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And he goes on in verse 28. He says, let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So just as this is a, a unifying event, a unifying experience, a unifying participation, it's also one we need to take soberly and we need to examine ourselves. Am I coming to this table as one body? Again, Paul is writing this letter from Ephesus to Corinth, but he still says, we who are many are one body. When we take this one bread and share this cup of blessing so you have to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, when I eat this bread and I drink this cup, am I doing it as one body? Am I coming to this table, sharing this cup and sharing this bread, participating in a shared salvation and a shared belonging? So again, let's remind ourselves that when we partake, the one bread is not divided but the many people are united. So my encouragement as we sing this song before we take of the bread and the cup is to reflect, examine yourself, ask yourself, is there anything that I need to change? Am I coming to this table? Am I sharing this bread and cup 
in a worthy manner, united with my brothers and sisters in Christ in this congregation and around the world? Or are there things that I need to get rid of as I take this bread and share this cup? Let's examine ourselves as we sing this song.